Father, we thank you for uh, what you're doing around the world. We thank you for this sacred space where we get to take time uh, on the Sabbath and hear from your word and, and hear from your spirit. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would see you and you only this morning and that we would be moved by your word, moved to action, that would be people that not only hear your word, but that do it as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we close out the Thanksgiving holiday, if you're a lot like me, you had a lot of, of fun, family connection, good times. But one of the things you're thankful for maybe is that it's kind of all over. Uh, maybe that's not you, but I know sometimes uh, you know, the craziness of Thanksgiving and, and, and all the preparation and the family and the planning. And so you know, we plop down on the couch and say, well, uh, that's over. And just about the time when we do that, our Christmas to-do list sort of rises up and smacks us in the face, and, and uh, that race towards December 25th starts to pick up speed. So maybe I just stressed all of you out right now. Uh, I don't know. But part of me is excited for Christmas, and you probably are too. Part of me kind of dreads it as I look at this, this to-do list, this sort of mounting and mounting. And so there's this month leading up to Christmas, my kids sort of let me know each day. It was kind of cute at first. Now it's kind of, you know, stressful. Dad, so many days till Christmas, so many days till Christmas. Um, but we kind of start to maybe dread this month leading up to it because there's so much to do. And so if you're like me, maybe you have this sort of love-hate relationship with the holidays. Maybe hate's too strong of a word. But maybe, just maybe, the two times that we're most thankful all year are November 24th and December 26th, when all of this sort of stuff is all over. And if you feel that way, don't worry, because you're not alone. According to Forbes magazine, a research study by the Harris Institute showed that three in five Americans say they would rather have done something else than reflect on what they're thankful for on Thanksgiving. Isn't that interesting? The top activities that respondents said they would rather do then think about gratitude included watching more football, watching streaming media, reading a book, or spending time with a pet. <laughs> 71% of Americans say the holidays cause them stress that outweighs their gratitude. Isn't that crazy? So what they're saying is from a cost-benefit point of view, the holidays just aren't worth it. Isn't that interesting? So when asked about their sources of stress around Thanksgiving and Christmas, here's what topped the list. Shopping for gifts, topped the list of, of what causes people stress. Spending time with family was a close second as a source of stress. If you brought family today, um, just, yeah, do with that what you will. Uh, followed by cooking big holiday meals was the third major source of stress around the holidays. 12% of Americans admitted they would rather spend time on their smartphones than have a meaningful conversation with family during the holidays. So how do we do this? How do we go into the holiday season without checking out on our smartphones, having conversations with our pets, and being totally stressed out? Is there a way we can do life differently this holiday season? So the title of our message today is How Gratitude Saved Christmas. And I titled it that because I think there's a better way. I believe that God shows us a better way. As it turns out, as you know, God's word has a lot to say about gratitude. 
things that I believe could save our holiday season and maybe save our entire year. So Luke 17, verses 7 through 19, I believe, reveal at least two of the reasons. There's probably a lot more, but at least two of the reasons why we may struggle with gratitude so, so much. So let me read from God's Word. Luke 17, verses 7 through 19, says this, Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him once he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. And then he goes on to say this. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. There's some tough things in, in, in these passages here. Now, Luke didn't have to put these two passages together, but I think he does this for a reason. See, these passages tell us the two reasons why gratitude is a struggle for us sometimes, why it's a struggle for me, why we have a hard time being grateful all year round. So the first part of the passage describes the situation of a master and a servant. In this part of the, of the package, talks about who deserves what. Master, servant, who, which one of them deserves what. And so in the time that this was written, this master-servant relationship, it actually was not an unfair one. It was actually mostly a beneficial relationship. And so the master would take on the servant and oftentimes his or her whole family. And the servant would work for the master for a certain number of years. And the master would provide security, protection, and a livelihood. The master would provide life itself for this family, for this servant. Now, to be sure, there was unjust masters, there was crooked servants. But for the most part, everyone knew in that time that this was a beneficial relationship. It's actually closer to what today would be an employer-employee relationship, although it was even more personal, all-encompassing and beneficial than even that relationship. So Jesus takes this situation, he describes where the servant comes in from doing his or her job, returns into the master's house, and then expects the master to serve the servant dinner. In effect, that servant now expects to be the master and expects the master to now become the servant. But the problem with that is that the master is still owed service based on the nature of that master-servant relationship. So this servant coming in and demanding to now be the master, demanding now to be served and fed, 
would have been absurdity to anybody in that time. They would have looked at that and said, no, that's not right. That's not appropriate. That's not how it works. The servant works for the master and then the servant gets to enjoy the master's home, the master's food, all of those benefits. So I think verse 9 gets to the heart of the problem with some of our gratitude, with my gratitude. Jesus says this, does the master thank the servant because the servant did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are but unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. Now that's a tough saying at the end of that, we are unworthy servants. How do we understand this? How do we understand this passage that sort of offends our Western capitalist sensibilities of masters and servants having equal value or in our culture of self-worth where everybody has value, everybody has equal value. What do we do with this? What do we do with this passage that talks about being an unworthy servant? We have to understand this. We have to understand the passage is not primarily about value, but about grace and gratitude. And here's what I think. I believe that we have a difficult time with gratitude because sometimes we believe that instead of us thanking God, God should be thanking us. Thanking us for our devotion to him, thanking us for living a good life, thanking us for doing his will, serving him. I know for me, I can sometimes feel like God is my servant and owes me instead of remembering that I am God's servant and all that I have, everything I have, I owe to God. Now, to be sure, God loves to bless his people. And actually, at the end of this book, at the end of the book of Luke, we see Jesus, God himself, serving the disciples by washing their feet. God loves to give us good things. But the moment that we come before God and kick up our feet on the table and have this posture of, okay, God, I've done my part. Now you do your part and serve me. We miss grace We completely miss out on grace. Whenever we start to deal in the currency of who owes who what, of what God owes us, we lose an awareness of the presence of grace. And when we lose the awareness of the presence of grace, there it goes, we lose gratitude. So verse 10 is a posture that recognizes grace and says, God, we are unworthy servants. On our best days, we are still forgiven sinners on our best days. It says, we've, God, you've already lavished grace on us. You've already given us more than we deserve. You've given us life itself as our master. See, we could say, okay, God, everything I give to you, everything I do for you is my duty. What's owed to you? But you know, the problem is a lot of times we don't even do our duty to God. We don't even do all that the master asks of us as his servants. And if we realize this, if I realize this, the next words off of my lips, rather than waiting, God to, waiting for God to sort of say, oh, thank you for doing this. Thank you for your devotion. The next words off my lips would be, thank you, God. Because constant gratitude, this constant awareness of gratitude puts us in the position of a receiver from God. It puts us in the position of receiving, not demanding anything from God, but just receiving. And that's how it's meant to be because we so desperately need God's grace in all things, all of life. 
So I think the reason we struggle with gratitude, one of the reasons, even during this holiday season when it's all swirling around us and Thanksgiving, and I think one of the reasons we struggle with it is that we believe that God should be serving us or should be thankful to us rather than us being thankful to him. So now in the next part, Luke sort of shows us what what does this might look like in an event that happened in the life of Jesus. So starting in verse 11, he recounts a time when Jesus enters this village and there were 10 lepers there. And lepers were considered unclean. And so they would have had to remain at a distance, ostracized from everyone, even Jesus, or so they assumed. So we learned that nine of these are Israelites, God's chosen people. Nine of them are Israelites. Only one is a foreigner. One is a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans were a foreign people with a long history of being hated and rejected by the Jewish people. So one of them is one of these Samaritans. What do they want? What's their greatest desire? They call out to Jesus, Master. So now making them the servants here. Master, have mercy on us. They're asking Jesus to heal them, to heal this disease that has has made them outcasts, made their life miserable. So Jesus tells, tells them, go show yourself to the priest. He's basically telling them, go re-enter society. See, before they couldn't even get near the priest. They couldn't even go near any of that. So he's saying, go back, go re-enter society. I've given you what you want. So Jesus doesn't wait till they go in to get to see the priest. He actually heals them as they go and they obey on the way. He heals them. He cures them of what most likely was a long season of pain and misery and isolation. So out of the 10, only one turns and comes back and says, thank you to Jesus. And maybe that shocks us. It, it kind of, it, it, it's kind of alarming, but, but part of me in the back of my mind says, yeah, you know, that probably, that might've been me. I might've been one of those nine that's so excited and I just take off, you know, running towards town. I'm healed. I've gotten what I wanted. So one of them comes back, says, thank you to Jesus. And it was the foreigner. It was the outsider, the Samaritan. So Jesus marvels. He marvels that only one person came back, but he also marvels that it's the foreigner. Why did only the foreigner have gratitude? Again, here's what I think. I think most likely it's because the other nine, as Israelites, as God's chosen people, maybe deep down had kind of come to expect God to grant them their request. As God's people, they just sort of expected it. Yeah, if I, if I call out, I ask, he's going to give me what I want. Whereas the outsider, the foreigner, the rejected one knew, man, anything I have from this God, anything I have from this God of the Israelites is a gracious gift of undeserved grace. He, he probably thought the nine would be healed right before his eyes, go running off to town, and he would be left. Say, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. No, this is for my chosen people. So I think when he, he's running and he, he sees that he's healed, I think he just stops and says, whoa, I do not deserve this. And he comes back and he says, thank you to Jesus. See, if the reason that we have such a hard time with gratitude is that we think God should be serving and thanking us rather than us serving and thanking him, I think we do that sometimes because we have come to just flat out expect God to give us what we want. I know I do that. We expect him to answer our requests. And so when he does, 
okay. We kind of go our merry way and forget to give thanks. And when he doesn't give us what we want, the flip side of that is sometimes we're shocked and we go back to reason number one that he owes it to us in the first place. So I know it kind of goes like this. I've got, I've put in A, B, and C. So of course you should give me X, Y, and Z. Now I know a lot of times it's not that overt. It's not that sort of black and white, cut and dried. We don't hear ourselves saying this. We don't act this way intentionally, but I think these things creep in over time. And now you combine that, you combine that tendency of ours with the busyness of the holiday season, and I think it can just short-circuit that gratitude right away. And so we can end up with this long mental list of all the times God doesn't give us what we want, and we forget all the times that he has given us what we want. That's the effect of us over and over again, not turning and giving God thanks for even the things we've come to expect. I do this, I take for granted my kids' health, my car starting, my amazing wife, the amount of money that we have budgeted for Christmas presents this year. I even take that for granted as a gift from God. Whatever it is, until one of those things is threatened or taken away from me or doesn't turn out the way it should, then I sort of say, God, you, you kind of owe me these things. So we can ask, why is my business struggling? I built it on Christian principles. Why is my marriage so hard all the time? We got married in a church. We had a Christian wedding. What's going on? Whatever it is we've come to expect from God to do because we've done stuff for him. But Luke tells us in these passages that even our obedience we owe to God. Everything we have from the master is out of his grace towards us, his servants. Okay, so maybe we get this. Maybe we understand that we are God's servants. Everything we have is from him. We shouldn't take his blessings for granted. Okay, maybe we understand that. So what should we do? What, what does God actually expect of us in terms of gratitude this holiday season? What is God hoping for his people this holiday season in terms of gratitude? Well, the answer, I believe, comes in another passage of the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Actually, I'll back up to verse 16, 16 through 18. Verse 16 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's tough stuff, right? How is that even possible? How many of us can look in the mirror and say, Oh, rejoice always, yeah, check. Thanks in all circumstances? Let me see. Yep, done that, okay, check. How many of us could look God square in the eye and say, yeah, I've done all those things? No way, that's tough stuff. How is that even possible? Or maybe it's possible just not in November, December, and January. So a recent study by the Pew Research Center showed that Protestant evangelical Christians had the highest level of gratitude of all demographic groups surveyed. Isn't that interesting? College students, retirees, atheists, whatever. evangelical Christians had the highest level of gratitude. Well, how did they measure it? How did they measure sort of who was the most grateful? The most grateful people in America were those that gave thanks once per week. So evangelical Christians compared to others are giving thanks on average once per week. God's pretty happy with us, right? I mean, once a week, man. You know, the, the, the crazy world that we have here, man, that's hard stuff, isn't it? 
So we top the charts in terms of our gratitude, but when we look at 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we look at God's word suddenly once a week. That doesn't seem like enough, does it? It's hard. But here's the thing, it isn't as hard when we read the passage more carefully. And maybe you did something there that I do when I skim over this passage. At first glance, we may think that God is asking us to change that in to the word for. Give thanks, in all, give thanks for all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I think I bolded the wrong in there. Give thanks not in all circumstances, but give thanks for all circumstances. But that's not what it says. God doesn't ask us to give thanks for all circumstances as if the circumstance itself had to be twisted and manipulated to be seen as good in some fluffy or plasticky sort of pasted on way so that we as Christians walk around all holiday season with these pasted on smiles. Oh, it's okay. It's good. I'm fine. We're not told to give thanks for cancer, give thanks for job loss, for rebellious kids, or for taxing and annoying relatives that lodge with us during the holidays. Again, if you came here with family, we're not told to give thanks for being exhausted all holiday season, but we are told to give thanks in each one of those things in all of those things. Now, now that makes it hard, but it makes it at least possible. And here's why. Because gratitude says less about a good circumstances, about a good circumstance, about a good God. Gratitude says less about a good circumstance and more about a good God, doesn't it? Gratitude in all circumstances doesn't acknowledge something as good, Gratitude in all circumstances acknowledges God as good. That is how we can give thanks in all things. So the circumstance may not be good, but we can know for sure that God is good in the midst of the circumstance. You see, gratitude peels back the circumstance and sees a redemptive, sovereign, and good God who is Lord over and in that circumstance. So if we can change the circumstance for the better to be healthier, happier people, that's great. Let's do it. Let's change it. Don't stand by and let injustice and suffering happen. But if we can't change our circumstance, we can still have gratitude. We can still give thanks. Your son or daughter is not walking with Jesus. That's not good. We mourn, we weep, we pray. But we can give thanks because it's about God. God cares, God loves, God sees. He sees us, he sees him or her. Maybe you can't go out and instantly make a job materialize before the holidays. God doesn't ask us to call that good, but he wants us to know that he is in that circumstance and in that circumstance with a good and sovereign God, we can give a faltering thank you by faith. See, I think our world has seen a lot of fakey Christians especially around the holidays, who feel the need to pretend to be okay with trauma and badness and unfairness and suffering. And in so doing, when we do that, our gratitude points nowhere. When we're fakey and plasticky about that, oh, it's fine, it's good. Our gratitude points to nothing. 
But gratitude was designed to point to God. Gratitude was designed to point us, our hearts, and others straight towards God. Gratitude looks beyond the circumstance and looks at God. And let's be honest, a lot of times we don't have gratitude during the holiday season because our lives don't look like the Hallmark cards we see in the store. People we wished were here with us during the holidays are not with us. People we wish weren't with us on the holidays are with us. Or people we wish our kids would not have brought home uh, are with us. Maybe there's arguing, there's messes, there's to-do lists at all your houses, not my house. No, my house has messes. Maybe we have all these things going on. It doesn't look like this picture-perfect holiday. And so we say, oh no, we can't give thanks. But here's why God asks us to give thanks in all circumstances. Gratitude brings God into that circumstance with us. And gratitude turns us towards the only one who can fix it. Right? Only God can fix our broken relationships. Only God can fix our broken lives. Only God even knows the best timing to do that. And even if fixing it right now is even the best thing for us. You see, we can give thanks in all circumstances because the Bible also says this. In Romans 8, 28, it says, In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things. Rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances can only be done by faith. Only be done by faith in God. And that faith is what saves us. Gratitude is the outworking, the outward working of this faith. So if you remember in the last passage, in the last verse of the passage we read, Jesus tells that one leper, not at first, he waits till he comes back, give thanks, expresses his gratitude to Jesus, and then he says, your faith has made you well. The wording there is literally, your faith has saved you. That's what he says to the one that turned back and had gratitude. Like so many of us with our to-do lists and wish lists, those 10 lepers came to Jesus knowing what they wanted. And like us sometimes, like me, they equated what they wanted with what they needed. See, our world and our culture can articulate very well what we want during the holidays, right? That's what it's about. Tell me what you want. Make a list of what you want. We can, we can at a moment's notice, say what we want this holiday season. But as we speed from Thanksgiving toward Christmas, it's easy to lose sight of what we actually need. And it's easy to lose sight of our commission to point others towards that need as well. See, nine lepers were in the presence of Jesus, but they missed the gift they truly needed. Nine out of 10 lepers agree you don't need gratitude to get what you want. See what I did there? So see, this outward circumstances changed for the nine, didn't it? Their outward circumstances changed, but everything changed for that one. Everything changed. See, now he got what he wanted and he also got what he needed. And his gratitude was the vehicle that connected his faith to Jesus. His gratitude made that connection by faith to what he actually needed. So what does this look like this time tomorrow? This very time, Monday morning, what, is this, what do we do with all this? As we launch toward Christmas season, 
So, so for a lot of the culture, it's, it's sort of like, yeah, enjoy your Thanksgiving, your Friday, your Saturday, Sunday, but come Monday, it's go time. Let's get ready to, to speed toward Christmas. So what do we do tomorrow morning as we launch toward Christmas season? Well, I want to give us three very practical ways to keep gratitude in our lives this season. The first one, be grateful for what you have, be grateful for what you don't have, and be grateful for what you're about to buy. Okay, that doesn't hit us a lot, does it? We sort of feel guilty or we sort of, I don't know. But be grateful for what you're about to buy. A pastor and author named Craig Barnes once said, gratitude is the best measure of our spirituality. So if you want to measure, you know, your strength, your height, your weight, whatever, we have ways to measure that, how successful you are. But if we want to know how we're doing in terms of our spirituality this, this season, there's no better indicator than our constant gratitude. Remember what 1 Thessalonians said, give thanks in all circumstances. So this makes it, so gratitude is not about how much or how little you ate on Thanksgiving Day. It's not about if you spent too much or missed a good deal on Black Friday. It's not about if you didn't shop at a small business on Small Business Saturday. And it's not about if you go ape on Cyber Monday. Do we recognize that gratitude is the measure of how well we're doing in all those things? Are we as thankful before and after Thanksgiving as we are on the actual day? Are we as thankful for what we don't have as for what we bought on Black Friday? Are we thankful enough on Sunday that we don't buy what we need on Cyber Monday? Are we thankful that we have the resources on Sunday to buy stuff on Cyber Monday? See, it's not just, it's not just about one or the other. It's gratitude in all things, letting gratitude permeate everything. Are we thankful that we're contributing to the economy, the common good and flourishing of our city by buying and selling, by going to work tomorrow? Are we as thankful that we get to work Monday through Friday as we are that we get to rest on Saturday and Sunday? See, what's the great evil of commercialism? It's not that goods are bought and sold and marketed. That's a good thing. Producing goods and commodities promotes the flourishing of the human race. That's not, that's not it. The problem of commercialism during the holidays is that it tries to make us forget to be grateful. Not just for what we have. We're always going to need to buy more of something, right? That's not the bad part. That's not evil or wrong. But all this hype, all this advertising that's going to start, that's already started, can make us forget to be grateful to God for everything. What we don't have, what we have, and what we need to buy, and that we're able to buy it. So be thankful for stuff you buy because someone made it, and that money makes our city thrive. All right, so Thanksgiving, let Thanksgiving this whole season teach us to see even these activities, even these everyday activities of buying things shopping, whatever, being content, all this as lavishness from God. So yeah, we need to evaluate, honestly evaluate this season. Do I need this? Do I need to buy this or not? Ask, is it necessary? And I imagine once we pare down that list of what's actually necessary to buy, we're probably, our, our wallets will probably still be run ragged, right? Even as we start chopping things off that list. But bring gratitude into that. Let's not wait until December 26 when we plop down in front of that, that tree and say, okay, now I'm thankful this is all over. No, don't do that. Okay, let's remember to give, give, give God gratitude for all things. 
The second practical way to live this out is to actually show gratitude in meaningful ways, not only to friends and family, but also those in society that serve us this season. How many workers are out there? How many people, extra workers during the holidays, people that are serving us, making our, our coffee and wrapping our gifts at the, at the store and helping us check out? How many people are out there involved in the holidays and we just kind of go about our business and we don't bring gratitude even into that shopping experience? So say thank you to friends and family often, not just on Christmas Day. Show up on December 11th or December 15th. Freak them out. Like, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here till December 25th. But just let family and friends know during that quiet moment, apart from the shredded wrapping paper and miles of, of tape, just say, hey, I'm thankful for you. I'm grateful for you. Do that for a neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. Do that for someone you don't like. Say, hey, I'm, God, I'm, I'm really grateful to God for putting you in my life because now I know how to deal with challenging people. Um, I've grown in patience and self-control because of you. No, don't do that. But make sure you thank the people in your life often. What if we thank those out in society that served us? What if, what if we go to Target instead of looking at them like they're this minion of Satan determined to take Jesus out of Christmas what if we looked at that Target employee and said, thank you. I appreciate your store being in our community. I appreciate you working uh, this holiday season. What if we complimented the Starbucks barista on the new cups this year? Or what if we put on our purple Deer Creek t-shirts and go into the Starbucks and say, thank you for using recycled cups. You are really taking care of God's creation. Whoa. Like, don't, aren't you angry about the cups? No, the cups are great. It becomes a game, like a gratitude game. See, we are spreading God's glory. We're spreading this pointing back to God. Remember what we said before, gratitude is designed to point to a good God. What would our community look like if we did this? What would our community look like if we did this in the name of Jesus? Even just once. You know, when I used to work at the uh, University of Central Florida, there was one particular professor and he hated Christians. He actually made the media for going on rants against Christians that would stand up in class and, and, and raise their hand and try to talk about their faith. And he would just level them. And so one holiday season, one of our students, she wrote him a thank you note. And she said, Thank you for teaching us. He said, you're an expert in your field. You could be doing a lot of things with your life and your career, but you've chose to pour into us. Thank you. She was too afraid to deliver it. She had her pastor go deliver it. So he said, hey, one of our students uh, wanted you to have this. He read it. He was absolutely undone. He said, I am so sorry for persecuting Christians. He said, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I'm going to stop. And he poured out to this pastor how his life was just a mess and Christians were not saying very nice things to him and he was just mad. Now, not every story is going to be that dramatic, but you never know what kindness, what, what a thank you is going to do. Thank your boss. Thank your local small business. Thank your kids. Thank your parents. Thank a teacher. So in your bulletin, you're, uh, you're going to find a thank you note in an envelope. And so I would encourage you tonight, don't put it off because remember, busy holiday season. Take this thing, you know, fill it up, write it to someone that you normally wouldn't, okay? 
Don't use it as a vehicle to sort of squeeze in the gospel. Thank you for cutting my hair. You need Jesus to forgive your sins. You know, don't do that. But just a heartfelt thank you to someone in the community, someone in your life that you haven't thanked in a while. Okay? Push it a little. Push yourself. Dude, just, Lord, pray about it. Who, who do you think this gratitude would be a springboard for your glory in our community this week? And as you do it, as you give it to them, just think about the word sometime. It's an easy word to think of. Say this, say sometime, I'd love to get together and hear your story. Sometime I'd love to just hear kind of, you know, your journey and, and, and how you ended up working here and, 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 and where you're going and things like that. You never know what that invitation is going to do. That one simple invitation, that one simple act of gratitude could be the start of a relationship that results in someone coming to know Jesus. Maybe not, but maybe so. So lastly, number three, remember to give thanks to God. And this may seem obvious, but here's what I think would be something cool that I'm going to try. Keep a gratitude journal this holiday season. How crazy would that be? So all this daily stuff, thank you that I was able to buy this. Thank you that I was able to bring joy to this person's life. Thank you that my car started in this snowstorm. Thank you, whatever it is, at the end of your day, reflect on that. Can you imagine then opening up that gratitude journal on New Year's Day and starting your year off with all the things you're grateful, just little things as lavishness from God? So start a gratitude journal, keep it all through the holiday season and read it on New Year's Day. I think it'll be pretty cool. So what's our roadmap for not just surviving this holiday season? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you to grow in gratitude all season long and beyond. Because here's the thing, we're coming up on a season where we remember the greatest gift of all time, the gift of the Christmas child, the Savior. A gift that when he came, no doubt, he was received by many people as something they wanted. Many wanted him because they thought they deserved a savior. Many wanted him to come because they hoped he would serve their purpose and bring about the kingdom they desired. But a teenage girl named Mary who would bear that gift knew that she was an unworthy servant. And in her prayer, in the opening line of her prayer in Luke 1, 46-47, is overflowing gratitude to God for choosing her. You see, I think gratitude will save your Christmas season. God didn't owe us this Christmas child. He didn't owe us all these things around this season. He didn't owe us Jesus as if it was his duty to rescue us from sin. We deserve nothing. We, we, he is the master. We're the servants. We actually deserve condemnation. There is nothing for God to thank us for. So let us say thank you to our master for the gift of Jesus. That's exactly what we need today, this whole season, and even on December 26th when it's all over. So let's let gratitude transform our holidays and our communities. Because if we have any hope of appreciating the gift that our culture and our family and our friends are rushing towards starting tomorrow, maybe already starting, if we have any hope of appreciating that gift of Jesus, we need gratitude. And let me just close with this. I know that, that there might be some of you here that have never received the greatest gift that God offers us in Jesus. You've never turned and said, thank you. 
to God for this gift. You've never accepted his offer of true healing, not just getting from God what we want, but getting what we actually need. Don't leave today without talking to someone. Talk with me, talk with one of the worship team, talk with someone with a name tag on. Don't start the Christmas season without a personal relationship with the gift and the giver. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. (laughs) All we can do is start our prayer with gratitude because you have given the greatest gift of all. And Lord, forgive us as we speed towards the Christmas season with just our to-do list and our list of what we want and need to do. God, I pray that we would give gratitude for what we have, what we don't have, what we are about to buy. Give gratitude to people in our communities who serve us. And most of all, to give gratitude to you. I pray that this gratitude, as it points to you, as it's, it's combined with our faith, would save this holiday season from only being about what we want and it would truly be about what we need. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.